Section 8 of the Romance of the Romanovs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shreya Sethi. The Romance of the Romanovs by Joseph Martin McCabe. The Great Peter. The Tsar Peter was near the end of his third decade of life when he broke the power of the Strelsi and definitely expelled his sister from the sphere of public life. The fortune and destiny of Russia now lay in his hands and the heavy discontent of his people, coerced as it was by the appalling punishment of the rebels, invited him to take up the serious duties of kingship. It would be, even if we admitted that the intelligence of a genius was allied with his strange character too much to expect that such a man would settle down to the study of the constructive problems that confronted him he was at all times incapable of sustained intellectual concentration of patiently working out into detailed plans the large ideas which arose in his feverish imagination congenital nervous disease might have been corrected by the hard labour in the open air in which he delighted but the debauch which regularly closed his labour undid its effect he returned even after his recent ghastly experience and his tour of europe to his disoriented ways it will be enough to illustrate the kind of life which he and his companions led by a short account of one of their pastimes i have said that the expedition to holland and england which had in part the object of seeking grave alliances for the empire in the west was preceded by the revels of the carnival these took the form of such pageantry and rioting as one found in most countries of europe at the time but there was an incident of the moscow procession which introduces us to a startling feature of the life of peter's circle one of the leading figures of the procession was a drunken old man who was dressed in ludicrous imitation of the patriarch the head of the russian church riding on an ox and accompanied by his spiritual court an equally drunken and dissolute crowd on the backs of hogs bears and goats these were peter's intimate friends and the entire masquerade was designed by him the mock patriarch was zotov the tutor whom natalia had given her son in his youth and who had suffered peter to contract at an early date of love of every kind of dissoluteness some time before this year peter who led the revels in the foreign quarter and outdid all in boisterous practical jokes had dubbed the old man he was now nearly seventy though he took his wine and brandy with the youngest archbishop of pressburg and patriarch of the banks of the Yauza, the neighbouring stream and the whole of Kaukoi, a slang name of the wild foreign quarter. The joke grew upon the heavy taste of the Tsar. He declared himself the patriarch's deacon, and his friends were formed into a group of cardinals who must hold occasional conclaves. The ridicule of the papal court was doubtless appreciated at Moscow, but even the most thoughtless may have been sobered by the equal burlesque of the burlesque of the of the head of the russian church historians again break into a dozen different explanations 
Some hold that he was preparing the way for his destruction of the power of the Russian clergy, which is to credit him with a large foresight and deliberateness of action that one finds it is impossible that one finds it impossible to accept that one finds it impossible to accept it is more likely that he acted from sheer mockery of religion adding the papal details so as partially to disarm or perplex his russian pietists we need not support that peter had definite skeptical convictions there were few definite convictions of any kind in his sodden mind earlier sars had humbly walked beside the patriarch holding the bridle of his mule in the great procession on palm sunday peter substituted for this the procession of his mock patriarch an aged topper who must have made a pretty silenus and his coat the cardinals were as i said the hardest drinkers and most dissolute adventurers of peter's intimate circle the frenchman or genevan leofold and the scot patrick gordon were prominent amongst them and there were other foreigners they sprang from the lowest ranks of the people or from the highest nobility race religion or rank counted for nothing in the council of the mad ones as the society was among other titles known from cunning and policy and and out of his constant itching to test his authority peter included also men of high taste and character when men were forced to take quarts of wine and brandy they were apt to speak their thoughts and people and peter always kept a sober ear this was the detail of the carnival procession of 1697 it was repeated in 1698 at the conclusion of the red horror of the streltsui a meter crowned the white locks of intoxicated zotov who was otherwise dressed as bachus and a crowd of bacchantes probably the lady friends of the cardinals from the foreign quarter performed the well-known lascivious dance around him with that freakishness which often gave something akin to the license of insanity to peter's imagination he ordered his bacchantes to bear burning tobacco leaves in england he had disposed of the tobacco monopoly and he was determined in spite of the frowns of the clergy to make his subjects smoke the mad ones followed on their fantastic steeds it is necessary if one would pass a comprehensive verdict upon peter the great to tell that this was something far more than a carnival jest he maintained the institution all his life and was ever inventing fresh enormities for it when a man was willingly or unwillingly appointed to the council he had to go to the house of the patriarch where four stutterers belonging to the large troop of entertainers in the tsar's household introduced him he received his red cardinally shill robes and went to the consistory or meeting of the cardinals there they sat on casks before the throne of zotof were served with much wine by men dressed as roman monks and went in procession to the conclave which was held in a house prepared as a parody of the sistine chapel at rome during an election of a pope they were confined there for three days and nights and plied constantly with drink by peter's servants and peter himself listened in secret for any hint of treasonable inclination the kind of language used and the things done 
may be gathered from the extant letters of peter to his patriarch at their normal meetings various women of whom we will see something presently were present two incidents will show how peter sustained to the end of his life the frame of mind which he shows in these things for it was he who laboriously invented every detail of the riot in seventeen fourteen in the midst of his heavy struggle with sweden he decided that he would marry zotov who was then eighty-four years old to a lady of noble birth sixty years old the most elaborate and costly preparations were made for months and a brilliant pageant was put upon the streets of st petersburg all the nobles sober or dissolute had to take part dressed as savages or bishops making a hideous discord with every instrument of noise that could be invented a banquet and mighty drinking bout prolonged for several days closed the ceremony zotov died a few years later and it was necessary to proceed to the election of an archbishop of st petersburg in the diocese of drunkards clatons and madmen the conclave was held in a mock nunnery presided over by a lady of noble birth and dissolute habits and the cardinals kissed her breasts as they took the ballot balls eggs from her hands later still within a few years of his death peter decided that his new patriarch must marry zotov's widow after ceremonies which could only partly be described the couple were married thoroughly intoxicated and put to bed in a monument in the public square where the populace would enjoy the spectacle in its own indelicate way in fine only two years before the tsar's death the patriarch died and it was necessary to elect another peter's idea on this occasion which was carried out was to enclose the cardinals for twenty-four hours saturating them all the time with wine and brandy and then let them choose a spiritual head it is not history delicately to suppress these things or merely hint that peter sought relief from his colossal labours in somewhat boisterous jokes and then enumerate the deeds by which he earned the title of the great these and his ferocious bursts of rage his brutal attacks on a man or woman who offended and his truculent torture and murder of graver offenders are part of his normal character he had no feeling of decency or morals indeed his whole life was a mockery of it he was wholly devoid of any kind of fine or tender sentiment occasionally with a dull air of generosity he pardoned an offender and he set up many philanthropic institutions at moscow and st petersburg habitually he was coarse and unrestrained in the last degree he would in public play with the breasts of noble ladies of the court and many of his private acts and expressions cannot be described i am not stressing the fact that peter was immoral which is not inconsistent with greatness even of character he was in these and a thousand other things little petty shallow uncivilized it would however be not less unjust to dwell upon these matters to the exclusion of those services to his country which have it is generally understood made peter the one great monarch of the romanov dynasty these must be duly considered they fall naturally into two categories 
the reforms by which he at least broke some of the ice which locked russia in its rigid medievalism and the wars by which he lessened the power of its hereditary enemies and profitably extended its boundaries the habit of writing history from a dynastic point of view is so deep-rooted that many a reputation lingers in our democratic age after the sentiments on which it was originally based have disappeared this applies in part to peter's fame as a conqueror he created an army and a navy he weakened and thrust back the swedes and he regained a large part of southern russia these were large and needed services but without passing minutely from battlefield to battlefield which is not the purpose of this study we must see how far these aims were plainly conceived in a mastermind and with what ability they were achieved peter had spent ten precious years playing at soldiers and making boats in the vicinity of moscow the shallowness of the plea that he was seriously preparing for a great task is seen the moment he sets out on his first military adventure he decided to attack sweden some historians would have us picture the young genius brooding over a map of russia and considering in which direction he may cut a channel for its commerce which hardly existed to the sea and the broad world beyond that was not his way his one imperial idea was as i said that he would create an army and a navy and would use them it was fairly obvious that they must be used against sweden but his journey had in any case lodged this idea in his mind it had begun in sweden where the king had treated the young boor with the disdain he felt for his person and his power it ended in poland which had succumbed to sweden and hated it from vienna at the end of his trip peter had gone to rava and spent a few days with augustus the second of poland augustus was a man after his own heart a tall strong man a great hunter and hard drinker and loose liver they talked much about sweden and with the fervour of intoxicated youth decided to smite that formidable power sweden was still at the top of the wave which lifted up and cast down one european nation after another and many powers were jealous of it peter and augustus entered upon a crude diplomatic campaign for the formation of a league against it the prussians were too cool and cynical to promise to do more than share the spoils of any victory but the danes and dutch consented in seventeen hundred peter secured peace with the turks in the south and joyously led his grand new army of forty thousand men to the siege of narva he would he said avenge the insults put upon his imperial majesty in sweden to which he had gone as a non-commissioned officer of the preobrajenschut regiment his artillery made little impression upon the town and his long carouses left him imperfectly informed on the larger situation in point of fact the king of sweden had patched up a peace with denmark and was hurrying to narva on november seventeenth the tsar heard that king charles and his seasoned soldiers were a day's march away from his camp and he fled it is suggested that his officers prevailed upon him not to expose his valuable life to danger it is claimed that he hurried off to spur on his lagging reinforcements it is said by himself that he did not know of the nearness of the swedish king from all which the majority of soldiers and historians conclude 
that peter fell into a panic at the first smell of real gunpowder and fled his grand new army could do no better and a swedish force was not one-fourth as large sent the russians scurrying back to their frontier it seems to have been the laughter of europe which roused the tsar from the half hysterical condition into which he fell and it may be said that from that time forward he became a more vigorous and skilful and generally courageous commander that he ever became a great soldier is emphatically denied by many competent authorities but he had we saw two qualities of value a colossal nervous energy and a great promptness to seek teachers in the more advanced west he entered upon terrific preparations for a more promising campaign brushing aside the clergy he melted down their bells to make cannon and he swinging from place to place with giant strides spurred his subjects to throw all their energy into the task that he had a clear and statesmanlike idea of opening a window upon europe may very well be questioned it is more in accord with his psychology to suppose that his mind did not go much beyond a fierce resolve to beat sweden but out of his very need to create an army for this purpose he began to develop his empire he needed money and his merchants must earn more money he needed metal and it must be found he was stung by the opinion of the world that russia was still barbaric and he struck fiercely at cherished old traditions he saw the church especially on its monastic side as a great fat pale fungus sucking the national sap and he attacked it many of his internal reforms belonged to this period in sixteen ninety eight we saw he had fallen scissors in hand upon the russian beard and desecrated it a ukasi ordered all russians to shave the chin and even this change cost a mighty struggle ancient texts of scripture plainly sanctioned the beard sacred icons showed that the saints and even christ had always worn beards and in fine it was not comfortable to have to face the piercing russian winds in the winter with a clean-shaven face peter fought for years against this symbol of the power of antiquity soldiers were put at the doors of churches and instructed to pull out the beards of rebels heavy fines were imposed with this went a reform of the clothing long-skirted coats were traditional and had become sacred and they were considered warmer in a russian winter peter ordered shorter and more workmanlike coats and patterns were exhibited in the streets to the outraged people the nobles were as a rule not unwilling to dress in western fashion the poor were allowed a few years in which to wear out their long coats but it was a long and futile struggle as pictures of russian peasants show today even women were ordered to trail less cloth and to the boisterous amusement of the crowd the skirts of the recalcitrant were lifted up in the street by officials and torn or sheared the position of woman was a more direct religious concern the customs which made the russian woman especially of the middle and better class a slave of her menfolk and easy victim of the clergy had been elaborated and codified by the clergy themselves though in substance the zealous enclosure of women was we saw borrowed alike from tartars and greeks a girl lived in terror behind locked doors 
growing fat for the marriage mart. The way out from her quarters was through the father's room, and whenever she was suffered to go out, she was heavily veiled. Marriages were arranged by deputies. Even during the ceremony, bride and bridegroom were separated by a curtain. The bride went to bed while her new husband was thoroughly intoxicated below. The worse the bargain his relatives had made for him, the more carefully he was stupefied with drink, and when he at last reeled into the room, she showed her face for the first time. Usually he did not examine her face closely. If he was sober enough to find that he had pockmarked, cross-eyed, lean, and skinny spouse, he might there and then bully her into a promise to enter a nunnery and leave him free. The marriage was generally consummated before he came to dislike her, but the resource was still open to a resourceful man. The stick was a powerful instrument of persuasion, and it was used generally and brutally. Women drank heavily in their miserable quarters, and remained in the last degree of ignorance and superstition. Peter's mother, and the example of Sophia, had already raised some defiance of this tradition. Peter himself loathed it, and violently assailed it, partly because it was one of the antique practices which made Russia ridiculous and kept it unprogressive, partly because he genuinely wanted the women, morals or no morals, to enjoy life as his gay women friends of the foreign quarter and later of his court did. He knocked over the barriers and encouraged women to come out. He ordered a six-weeks interval between betrothal and marriage and wanted girls to see men before they married them. He gave his daughters a French governess and urged his nobles to do the same, or send their daughters abroad to be educated. In 1704, he startled and outraged Moscow by having a procession of young ladies on the street, scattering flowers and showing their fresh faces to the world. Toward the close of his reign, in 1718, he desperately ordered his people to hold periodical receptions or drawing-room entertainments in their houses from four in the afternoon until ten. It is understood that his recent visit to Paris gave him the idea. Chess and smoking and dancing and drinking, but no cards or dice, were to be provided, and men and women were to mix socially. But social intercourse, enforced by the knut, is not apt to be genial. They were, as far as the law was obeyed, melancholy entertainments. To all these reforms the clergy and monks were opposed, and he quickly attacked their power and wealth. In the December of 1699, he flouted the church calendar and decreed that henceforward, as in the rest of the civilized world, the year would begin on the 1st of January. An entire reform of the calendar was beyond even his audacity, and Russia still lingered behind the world. In 1700, he ordered the opening of apothecaries' shops in Moscow, and although the bulk of the messes sold in such places at the time were not much more efficacious than charms or the prayers of the monks, it was a healthy assault on tradition and the trade of the priests. In the same year, he began his direct assault upon the ecclesiastical authorities. End of section 8 Recording by Shreya Sethi